you are listening to let it out with me i'm your host katie dalebout and today on the podcast we have kathleen shannon she's half of the duo behind the podcast being boss and i love this conversation we talk about change moving states it's funny you'll hear us talk about this but she moved to the state i just moved from we talk about marriage in a really interesting way work changing in relationships and allowing the other person to change productivity investing real estate investment which i've never really talked about but learned a lot from kathleen on we talk about money it's a great episode i liked it a lot and i think you will too give it a listen and if you want to support this podcast if you like it if it makes you feel less alone if it entertains you support the podcast and you can do that a couple ways by supporting the sponsors and by leaving a review on iTunes, join the secret listener Facebook group. That's a great way to meet other people who listen to the podcast, hang out with me. It's my favorite place on Facebook for sure, maybe the internet as a whole. And there's also Patreon, which is another cool place on the internet. Enjoy this episode, and I'll talk to you at the end with the emoji and who's coming up on the show next week. Today's episode is brought to you in part by FreshBooks.com. You know FreshBooks. You love FreshBooks. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I use FreshBooks. I love it. It's the easy-to-use online cloud accounting software. You can personalize the colors, and you can even add your logo. It's great for sending invoices. It really makes you look buttoned up, and it's great for tax season. You can even set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank account, so whenever you purchase something for your business, it instantly uploads it to FreshBooks. I love it. And FreshBooks is ridiculously easy to set up. It's made for people who don't like dealing with numbers and their taxes. Right now, FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial to our listeners. So to claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. Thank you, FreshBooks. I have to tell you about one of my favorite brands, Care of Vitamins. You might already know and love them like I do, but if not, Care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients personally tailored to your exact needs. Vitamins can fill the important gaps your body might be missing from its food or give you an extra boost where you need it. To figure out what supplements can help you feel your best, simply go to Care-of's website and you take this super short, fun quiz. It asks you questions about your lifestyle, everything from how much you sleep to how much you poop, and from there, it recommends to you in minutes exactly what vitamins can help you feel your best. 
all the recommendations are based on clinical research and traditional medicine with input from doctors and nutritionists. I love the packaging and design of everything Care-of makes. Your supplements will come to you in these beautiful, individually wrapped, personalized packets. I love them when I'm traveling and really just every day since I'm always on the go. And I think you will love them too. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. Again, that's for 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins. Visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. That's K-A-T-I-E, just in case you didn't know how to spell my name. It's so funny that we both, we both kind of moved and switched places. So let's talk about that. How, how moving is such a huge thing and it's something that changes everything, obviously, in a very obvious way, but then in like a more subtle way, I think it changes how we feel and how we relate to you know, these different places kind of changes our creativity and changes everything in some ways. So how was it for you? What were you most nervous about? What didn't you expect? What did you expect? Tell me everything. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm still like in it, right? So I don't have a whole lot of hindsight perspective as far as what I've learned from the process because I do feel very much in the middle of it. But, um, okay. So I moved from Oklahoma city to like a suburb of Detroit. So I'm right outside of Detroit. My husband got a job as a self-driving car engineer. And before, I mean, we had lived in Oklahoma city for almost a decade before that I lived in Norman, Oklahoma. That's where I grew up, which was just 25 minutes South of Oklahoma city. And I feel like that's also like a very Oklahoma thing to say is like to measure distance in minutes versus miles. But, um, you know, even that felt like a big deal moving from this small college town that I had grown up in to Oklahoma City. Anyway, so moving across the country felt like a really big deal. And I lived across the street from my sister. I was really close with my neighbors. We were constantly just, you know, going over to each other's houses and having a glass of wine or having a fire pit or, you know, my son was like running around naked in their yard. I mean, it was just such a tight knit community. My mom and dad live just a few miles from me in Oklahoma City. They would pick up my son every Friday night and he would spend the night at their house. And I mean, just my whole village was there. But I've been itching to move. I mean, since I was a teenager, I wanted to get out of Oklahoma, but just life happens. And you go to school for super cheap in state and then you fall in love and you have your friends and you get an awesome job. And, you know, it's just a domino effect that can kind of keep you in a place. And so I knew I wanted to move at the beginning of 2017. Like this is it. You know, we're getting older. Our son is getting older. He's about to turn. He was three at the time just turned three. And I thought, you know, if we don't get out before he starts school, like it's just one more thing tying us to a place that we live. And while we love our family, I I didn't love everything else that Oklahoma had to offer. And I feel bad even saying that. I don't want anyone from Oklahoma to hear this and think that I'm bashing Oklahoma because, and this will get me to all the things that I've learned. I have learned that there is this sense of, I mean, I've planted roots there and there are some things I really, really love 
about Oklahoma and that distance has allowed me to see what I love a little bit more about it. Um, but you know, I knew that I wanted to move. I, I couldn't imagine myself in 20 years, you know, whenever I close my eyes thinking about my life, not having had moving in that experience. So my husband was, um, studying to become a self-driving car engineer. He has his master's in electronics engineering and he had been working for the government for a really long time as a civilian in the Air Force doing electrical engineering on like, you know, airplanes and stuff. And it just wasn't aligned with his values anymore. And he really wanted to make a difference in the world. And this is how he's going to do it is by bringing self-driving cars into the world and, and working on that. And so he got a job up here. We found out he got the offer probably at the beginning of December and we were moved up four weeks later. So it was kind of a whirlwind of finding people to live in our home and then packing everything up and getting up here. And so the things I was most anxious about were finding a daycare for my son, finding a place to rent. I have been a homeowner for so long that going back to renting a place was kind of wild. And we have a couple of cats and renting a place with animals is really hard to do, um, especially in the middle of winter. So finding a place to live. And then I was really stressed out about the actual process of moving. So my husband's company had movers come in and pack up all of our stuff and load it into boxes and put it on a truck. And that part was kind of stressful, just like having these guys go through all my stuff, like wrapping up my crystals and skulls and feathers and just weird stuff that I have. I think that they probably found like some naked Polaroids, like just, uh, it was just really embarrassing and not even just, not even the uh, obviously embarrassing stuff that they could have come across, but like, just, I don't know. It you felt so, yeah, I can... not even that, like I got really self-conscious about having stuff. Like there's just so much stuff and why do we have it? It kind of throws me into this like existential, I can't believe I have all this stuff and it's so important to me that I'm having these strangers come into my house and wrap it up and put it in boxes and haul it across the country. And then as I was unloading boxes, because it all happened so fast, seeing some of the stuff that they had packed... I was like, wow, I would have just thrown that out yeah, or donated that. Like, so I can't believe that got packed and moved and yeah, how embarrassing. you didn't really have time. Like, when I moved, I got, I basically got rid of or threw away everything I owned except, like, the bare necessities. And I was like, if I need it again, I'll just buy it again when I get there. But you didn't really have time to make those calls. They just brought everything and then you had to figure it out here. Yeah, exactly. But then as I was unpacking, I was really kind of grateful for my stuff. And I don't know if that's like the tourist part of me, but I I unpacked very quickly. I made it a, a very strong priority to get my family settled and to get things feeling like us again, both in, you know, the sounds that I was filling our home with you know, playing music, cooking, and making our home smell like us with incense and the kind of spices that I use in our cooking. And so the oils I was diffusing, like I really did make it a priority to make it feel like us. And I think that that did help us adjust really fast to being in a new place. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I It's such a jarring transition, especially, and I, I relate so much to what you were saying. Like I grew up in a small college town in Michigan. And then I moved to 
similar to where you are in Detroit, which is like a couple hours away. And it was, it was that at the time did feel like a move. And I'm a stepping stone person. And a lot of the people that I went to college with, like moved to New York right away. And I, you know, took like another seven years or something. And I think that if I had just moved here right then, I wouldn't have been ready. I kind of needed this stepping stones. And it, it's a, when people were asking me about my move to New York, and I'm curious if this was the same for you, it felt like a scary moving, but also like the, I knew it was the right best decision and it was going to be a personal growth decision and I would learn something either way. Do you relate to that? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I trust my life and I trust it's really hard to have any regret because it's all gotten me to where I am and I'm so grateful for, you know, everything. And so, yeah, moving, I've also learned a lot of that, you know, we're incredibly adaptable as human beings and the opportunity to move is just that it is an opportunity and it is what I will make of it. And so it can be an adventure or it can be, you know, tragic or it can be sad or it can be it can be whatever I want to make it. And so I've decided to turn it into an opportunity. Yeah, like you said for growth and I I did come to rely on my village as I was talking about earlier so much of having so all my friends and family and I feel like that's this is the biggest thing I was worried about is like sometimes I'll think back to a paleolithic era where we really were in these tribes of people and everybody is watching each other's babies and nursing each other's babies and everyone in the community was contributing in a different way. And I feel like we've kind of moved away from that just in the way that modern society is and so I was a little bit worried, like, oh, my gosh, just moving away from my family, who I adore. I mean, I own a business with my sister, but we also hang out on the weekends. My brother's a sideshow performer who's um, been on the road a lot. But that also means that he's been home a lot, like whenever his home base is no longer New York City or New Orleans, like his home base has been Oklahoma to be closer to us whenever he's not touring. And so I've been having the opportunity to hang out with him a whole lot over the past year. And so the idea of leaving my family felt really scary and really big. And that's the only thing I worried that maybe I was making a mistake about. But I knew that it was an opportunity to really solidify my relationship and dynamic with my own little family. So with my husband and our four-year-old boy, you know, really just seeing what that did for us together as a little unit and having that opportunity to grow closer together is something I was really looking forward to. Um, Has that happened? it, It has and it hasn't. I mean, we've been so hit the ground running that I feel like we haven't really had moments to connect in like the dreamiest way that I was imagining, which is like the Pinterest Instagram version of of connection, right? But I know that the experience of going through turmoil together is also bonding us and just really trusting each other in our decisions. And my husband and I also, our roles have flipped a little bit where I used to be the one working all the time and he had a little bit more flexibility in his job because it was like very government, very, he had a lot of vacation time, a lot of sick leave, and he didn't have as many high pressure deadlines or obligations as he does now. 
whereas I did. I was writing a book. I have podcast interviews. I have clients at my branding agency who have deadlines or I'm meeting with. So even though I work for myself, I don't have a whole lot of flexibility. And so he would do a lot of, um, you know, the housework and the laundry and really taking care of a lot of that stuff. If our son was sick, he was the one staying home with him. And now he's doing like the school drop off and pick up, but it's giving me a lot more time to do a lot more stuff around the house. I'm kind of having to learn how to do dishes and laundry and all that stuff again that he was really taking care of before. And I know how to do that stuff. It's just funny that like now I'm kind of taking over more of that. So we're trying to figure out a new normal. And also, you know, I've never been around him in a place, you know, for the past decade where he's been stressed out about work. Like it's just never really happened. And now he has a job he really cares about and he's thrown into a whole new situation. So I can tell that he's adjusting there and a little bit scared and wanting to do his best and managing his time and deadlines like he's never had to before. And so really learning how to be with each other or learning how to, you know, adapt to these new stresses that he has has been really challenging and really interesting. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I talk about this a lot with my boyfriend about how, and I, I don't think this he made this up. I think he heard this or read this or something, but in a relationship, one person kind of has to be the more okay one, you know, like both people can't <laughs> yeah. be um, stressed out. Like I, and we've, we've had moments of this where like, he's you know down or sad or something and I no matter what I'm feeling kind of have to be the one to come up and be the the more sane one in that situation and sane isn't really the right word but the more generally okay one so they can lean on and then you know there's other times and in my case most of the time I'm the one that like is you know more emotional or needs you know support and and that and then he can he can be that for me but it it doesn't work and it kind of clashes when both people are are out um and I think like striking that balance and knowing that it's going to flip back and forth and I love that you guys are being so malleable and you're you're able to change and shift those roles I can imagine that being really challenging getting used to you know having one person do the laundry and that sort of thing and then changing that on top of moving and your friends and everything like that, that has to be a lot. So it sounds like you're managing it really well. It has been such a shift in perspective to be the okay one, because I will yeah. say for the past decade, I've definitely taken on the role of not being the more okay one. Like he's yeah. just more chill by nature. And I think that that's a dynamic a lot between guys and girls specifically. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I knew going into like the whole moving process, I was just game. I was being so like proactive and as helpful as possible and you know, getting us into a place, getting my son into school, like doing all the things that I could do um just so that he could have the space to you know, energetically prepare and get ready and be stressed and freak out a little bit about this new adventure that he was about to go on with a new job. And so, yeah, being the okay one has been the best challenge possible for me. And so it is cool, you know, moving has really given me the opportunity to go within. You know, I'm, I don't see anybody who is familiar. I don't go to any places that are familiar. I hardly know where I am, like on a map at this point. And so, 
I've really used the opportunity to go within and to be the okay one. I've really been leaning on a lot of my spiritual practices that I had put by the wayside, but I'm so grateful for, you know, meditation being a big one and really relying on some of the habits and routines I had established before I left, but wasn't really bringing a lot of intention or meaning to. So for example, a morning workout, like before it was just something that I did. And now I'm really seeing it as this self-care piece that keeps me rooted into a routine and rooted in my body. Um, but you know, you're saying about being the okay one, sometimes probably about, you know, once a week or every other week at this point, it's happened a few times where I'm like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done being the okay one. I'm going to have a moment. And it'll kind of, and I think that's a gift to him as well too, Mm -hmm. though, because like he's starting to get into his own head and he'll be like, okay, everything's going to be okay. You know, and then he gets the opportunity to become the voice of reason and the stable one. And, and Yeah, but the whole thing, like, I'm also a little bit embarrassed that for the past 10 years, I've been stressed out about my career or about, you know, kids stuff or sleep deprivation or whatever it might be. And um, I wish that I had had that shift in perspective a little bit sooner. Like, I wish that there had been more opportunities for me to be the okay one before this move. Well, now there is. Totally. And so maybe that's like, you know, rhythms. This is something I think this is something I think about all the time are these rhythms and these seasons. You know how everyone always says like, mm. well, this is a season of whatever. And I'm like, okay, how long do these seasons last? Yeah. And I think that that had been a 10-year-long season yeah. and that's a cool that's a cool thing about being with someone for that long is being able to see each other through these seasons that last more than a month or two or even a year at a time. Yeah. How did you meet your husband? Oh, wow. So we just had the same group of friends. And it's it's kind of scandalous, actually. It's funny <laughs> that you ask. But I had been married before. And we all had the same group of friends. And we we're kind of all in this music scene. And my husband now is in a band. And he lived across the street from me. He had bought a house across the street from where I lived. And um, my marriage was, you know, kind of falling apart. And um, he kind of swooped in. That's so cool. So you guys, (laughs) is it? I don't know. It's not, it's so funny. You know that, um, I didn't, I didn't know exactly the response, but I mean, it is cool. I I stand by it, but I just, it kind of came out of me. (laughs) No, I didn't know exactly what to segue, but yeah, it is cool. It worked out. (laughs) It's the kind of story where like, I've had enough distance from it where, at the time, it was just so drama. And now, you know, 10 years later, my husband just turned 40. And it's like, we're we're grown ass adults. And all of that drama could have been avoided. But there was there was a little bit of drama, I guess I'll just say that. And it was kind of in a lot of ways, very cool and romantic and tumultuous and, um, you know, like sexy, like it was it was cool. But also, I, I did a lot of things I regret through that that I would do differently now. Yeah. And so, so you were pretty young back then too. Yeah. I mean, I got – the first time I got married, I was 21. Oh, wow. I just turned 20. Yeah, I was a baby. And um, it was – I just shouldn't have gotten married in the first place. And my ex was fine. Like he was great. It was just wasn't like the meant to be kind of yeah. thing. And so – yeah, so I was young, like I was probably 25 whenever Jeremy, my now husband, and I got together. 
So you've been through a lot of transitions in your life. You've been married and divorced. You've had career transitions that you've talked about a lot, and I want to talk about more. Your transition to motherhood, I know, is tumultuous. Now this move that we're talking about. How have each of these transitions shaped you to... What did you kind of learn from each of them that that you that have maybe molded you to who you are now? Hmm. Like if I had a broad stroke, think about you know how these changes have affected me. I guess the thing that I've really learned is that change is to be expected, and that I like change. And what I'm really trying to learn now is that even the hard parts of change are a part of it. It's part of the process and it's not necessarily a bad thing, even if it doesn't feel good. And so like, that's kind of the lesson that I feel like I'm maturing into. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that evolving and changing is really important to me. And I remember even whenever my husband and I got together, I said, listen, if we're going to do this thing and if we're going to be together forever, I have to trust that we're going to be okay changing alongside each other. And I feel like that's something that, you know, even as a teenager, I was always so embarrassed to change if I had someone like a boyfriend who would be disappointed in that change or a friend who might be disappointed. Like, you know, whenever you're younger and people are like, you've changed. Yeah, it's like as if that's a bad thing. Yeah, Yeah. judgment, I think. And it's like, well, yeah, I hope, I hope so. I hope that I would change. And so that's, you know, I, I mean, that was kind of like whenever I think about my vows, I don't remember what we said, but I know that like kind of a behind the scenes agreement was that he would do the laundry and be okay with us always changing. Mm. But now you do the laundry. Now I do the laundry, (laughs) but he took a big step forward in changing our lives, like really helping to helping to make that change happen, like the change of location, I don't think that we could have done it without him really initiating it with his job. So he stepped up there and I'll step up with the laundry. Yeah. (laughs) Well, going back to your career and the transitions there. So I know that you studied design in college, I think, or you studied some sort of art. And then Eventually, you worked at an ad agency with your sister, and I think she was your boss, and then you guys started Braid Creative together, which is your branding agency that you guys still have. And then eventually, you partnered with Emily, who's your partner on Being Boss, which is a podcast and a now book, which is so exciting, that you guys have together. And so you've had a lot of different partnerships in your life in, you know, in addition to your husband and that partnership. So... How have you navigated all of these different partnerships and transitions and growth within them with your, you know, business and career partners? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, It really comes with open lines of communication, having each other's best interests in mind at all times, hard conversations, you know, which comes with that open communication, being okay with talking about money and and where it goes and you know really just getting aligned with your vision the the longer i'm in a partnership with both my sister and then emily and even my husband it really is about saying okay where do we want to go with this thing are we getting there together how are we both you know steering the bus or pedaling the wheels or doing whatever we have to do to get there 
um, and just staying open the whole time. And so that's what I've learned. And I've learned that there's, you know, really not a huge difference. I mean, obviously, I'm not sleeping with my business partners like I am with my husband. But other than that, like relationships are relationships. And um, I, I think that there's this certain amount of intimacy there with your business partners that you have to have in order to make it work. Um, it, it, it really is about blending the personal with the professional. I know that with my business partnerships, I always feel so much better whenever we can talk about our lives as well and really share what's going on there. Anytime I felt weird disconnects, it's because, you know, my business partner was maybe trying to, um, stay quiet about something that was affecting them personally that I could feel energetically and was seeping into like our professional conversations. And the flip side is true for myself as well. Like I know that I've been um, stressed out about something personally and whenever I just try and keep the wraps on it, I'll get more frustrated professionally. And so really just blending those things and just staying open and being committed to a shared vision has just been huge. Yeah. You talk about this in your work with Being Boss and Emily, and especially in your work with Braid Creative, your branding agency, and it's it's almost your tagline of blending who you are with what you do. So, and you, you're really essentially talking about that right now. So I'm sure there's layers to that, but how have you done that in your own life and how do you continue to more and more? I think that one of the best ways you can blend who you are into the work that you do is really taking a look at your values and intentions in your personal life and really bringing those values to your work to help drive your decisions, to help set your boundaries, and to help you decide what it is that you're going to make. So for me, that piece of it, the values piece of it has been huge. And so you know, even that tagline at Braid of blending who you are with the work that you do, that was a personal value of mine. And I didn't even understand really the full scope of what personal branding was whenever I started Braid and that that value of authenticity and even nonconformity at times um, would help lend itself into creating a different kind of branding agency where we put the people first before the business. You know, it's like really looking at what the decision makers behind the business, if it's not a personal brand, like what do you all like and what are you about and how can we bring more of that into the work that we're creating together so that you can really rally behind it? So, you know, that's definitely a big way that I do that. And with Emily as well over at Being Boss, you know, we are constantly having conversations about what is it that we like talking about right now and what are what is it that we like doing right now and how can we bring more of that into our conversations and being boss. And it's easier with a podcast because you're recording it as you go. And it's almost like a verbal diary of sorts where we can kind of see what we were interested in at the time. And we're not interested in the same things or talking about the same things now as we were three years ago. And so as our interests change, you know, bringing that into our work. And so more specifically with being boss, I would say like the more woo woo side of things. So talking about tarot, that was something that we would have been so embarrassed to do three years ago, even though we were reading tarot and using it in our own, you know, personal practices. Um, Now we're openly talking about it on the podcast, because if we didn't, 
we would be doing our audience a disservice by not saying like, hey, here's another tool that we use in business that actually gives us a lot of guidance and helps us along the way. And if it helps you as well, then here's how we do it. Yeah. I want to talk more about being boss because I've been following since the beginning and I I'm so inspired by you guys. I'm inspired that you and Emily both had your own and still do your own businesses, your main hustles, I guess. And then being boss was, and to a certain extent is an additional hustle or a side hustle. And it's grown and expanded and changed so much. And it's been so inspiring to watch that and and see it grow. And so I'd love if you could talk about the inception of being boss and what that was like and kind of what your expectations were for it back then and then where it is now and and where you see it going. Sure. So Emily and I both have our own businesses. So I have Braid Creative, which is a branding agency. And Emily at the time, and she still has it, is a business called Indie Shopography. And she's put more of a pause on Indie, which is why I say it that way. I'm still full force into Braid Creative. Um But we were having these business bestie conversations where we were hopping on Skype, just like you and I right now, and just really shooting the shit, like talking about everything from um, how to deal with tricky clients to how to manage our time. I didn't even have a kid whenever we were starting to have these business bestie conversations. So I was asking her a lot of questions. Her daughter was Fox's age now whenever we first started chatting you know, asking her what it was like being a mom and being a boss and talking about trends, you know, even in business. So Emily convinced me to start an e-course. And this was like right at the precipice of e-courses. And so she's always had her finger on the pulse. And I've always really appreciated her guidance. And on the flip side, you know, I was sharing stuff with her about branding and I did her brand and um, we were always talking about creating content. And so really just talking shop. And one day she sent me an email saying like, hey, how cool would it be if we started a podcast and really just hit publish on the conversations that we're already having? She had an inkling and we both had an inkling that a lot of people were having these conversations or really craving these conversations because a lot of us were working as solopreneurs, you know, from our laptops on our couch with very limited, you know, social lives outside of our keyboards. And so we knew that if we could hit publish on these conversations that we were having, that it might make some other creative entrepreneurs feel a little less alone in their own adventure, or, you know, maybe give them some tips and tactics to try. And so it's really just lifting the veil and giving a peek behind the curtain of what our work and lives were like. And so we, we published the podcast and like you said, it turned into this whole other thing that we did not expect. And from, from a creative standpoint, like we just wanted to create something together. In fact, we had tried to do a little workshop, like a weekend workshop years and years ago, and it didn't sell. Like we maybe sold one ticket to this workshop. It was like crickets chirping and we were so embarrassed. We shut it down. We never did it again. We never talked about it again. And then a couple of years later, that's whenever Emily said, hey, let's do this podcast. And so like we always knew that we wanted to create something together. And 
we did the podcast again, we didn't know what to expect because our first collaboration had been a total failure, but it ended up resonating. And I think it was resonating because again, people wanted to be a part of that conversation and they wanted to hear conversations from other business owners, maybe especially to women in business who have families and are doing the work and living the life and uh, seeing, you know, all the ups and downs, like we're, we're really in it with our listeners and with our audience. And I think that they appreciate that. Yes, they speaking for one of them definitely do. And I've, like I said, I've been with you guys since the beginning and it was so transformative for me. I've had so many watershed moments, especially at the beginning, like that first year listening to the podcast, I felt less alone because of the things that you guys were sharing, especially, you know, having my, this thing I was doing on the side, I didn't even know the term side hustle, I don't think, until I found being boss. And I was like, oh, it's okay that I'm not, I'm, I am a real blogger. I, I it, and My book is real, like, even though maybe it's not my full-time income, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of other people out there who do this as well. And you guys were so kind to me when my book came out and having me on the podcast. And, you know, I just feel like I've, I've been along for the ride and, and learned so much from you guys. And, and one of the things that I, I would love for you to talk about a little bit and maybe give an update on something that really resonated with me and I had many watershed moments listening to the podcast, but particularly about productivity. And you guys talk about productivity in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, bringing mindfulness into your business or, you know, being a mom and also a business owner, collaboration, all these different things. But productivity is something that kind of bleeds in through all of these different topics. Could you talk about productivity as a solopreneur of sorts and uh, also a collaborator, a collaborator, I guess, but specifically, you know, where where are you with productivity right now? What helps you? What has helped you in the past? Tell me everything. Oh, wow. So yeah, you're right. I could talk about this. I feel like I have been talking about it for three years. It's yeah. all about, you know, our tagline pretty much over at Being Boss is do do the work, right? It's all about doing the work because we want to create something. We want to put something into the world that has meaning and that helps people and that is maybe even just beautiful. So earlier, even when we were talking about moving and I was talking about my stuff and being embarrassed about my stuff, it really made me realize how important art is in the world. And hanging a painting that I love on my walls, it, it's like I was taking a piece of my soul with me across the country. And the work that we do as creatives is incredibly important. And I think that so many creatives are held back I think first by mindset, it, they get either paralyzed thinking about the idea of bringing their work into the world or they have fraudy feelings. They feel like, who am I to make a painting or to write a book or to coach somebody through a process? And you really just have to do the thing. And so then you have to break it down into steps. You have to say, okay, if I want to write this book, the very next thing that I have to do, like the very smallest next step that I have to take is, I don't know, deciding a table of contents. Or maybe your step is even smaller than that. Or you can work backwards from your big goal of writing a book. You know, right before you launched your book, you know, there is maybe like a launch day set and a launch party and like what's happening right before your book goes out and how can you work backwards from there? And so I think that's like the first thing whenever it comes to productivity 
is really just getting over those mindset hurdles and then making a big goal and breaking it down. I still do this to this day. The other thing that I do that I've been doing for years and years whenever it comes to productivity is the chalkboard method. Are you familiar with this, Katie? Sure am. I'm a, I'm a big so, boss okay. fan, of course. Okay. <laughs> this is a test. So the, chalk, <laughs> right. so the chalkboard method is literally making space for what you want. And I think of it as, you know, equal parts manifestation and magic and equal parts like just setting a big goal and holding yourself accountable by um, putting that goal in your space and doing the work that it takes to make it happen. And so the the idea behind the chalkboard method is, well, I'll just share how it kind of came into the world is that I had just started my business with my sister and we had launched, we had done all the things the website went live, our blog post went live, we had our Instagram account, and then it almost felt like crickets chirping. Like after that first week of excitement, the dust had settled and we didn't have any clients. And I was freaking out a little bit. I was working with an executive coach at the time, Jay Pryor, who I adore. And he was like, okay, so now you need clients. You've got to make space for them. And I was like, there's space. Like, I'm just sitting here. There's plenty of space. And he goes, no, you need to make it visual. And so he recommended getting out a poster board. But I had this huge chalkboard wall in my office. And I drew 10 lines, 10 empty lines. And he, you know, suggested making a mantra. So I made a mantra. I think it was like, I'm attracting dream clients with cash. And within a week, that chalkboard had been filled up. So I think that there was like this idea of making the space for the clients and then also doing the work it took to fill up those spaces. Like at that point, I had been committed. I had decided this is what I'm doing. This is what I want. And I need to send out some emails or make some calls or, you know, really just like feet to the pavement, get going. And so I still use the chalkboard method to really distill what it is that I want, what it is that I want to make space for. And even just this past quarter, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this to you. I had made space for this certain project that I was launching and it didn't work. And I have a lot of projects that don't work all the time or that don't meet my goals or expectations. And I trust this chalkboard method so much that I trust that um, I wasn't supposed to fill that space because something else because I need that space for something else. And it wasn't truly what I wanted. So it's almost a tool to then help me reevaluate what I really want. And so this past quarter, I didn't meet this goal that I had made space for. And I was kind of relieved. And then I felt like the chalkboard knew like, oh, it knew I didn't really truly want that. Mm. So I've been using this method for years and years. And it's one of my favorites for productivity. And then alongside that, I love using my Google Calendar and just time blocking out everything. And I love Asana. This is like my project management go-to. And if I have a task, I put it in Asana. There's a deadline associated with it. I, I look at everything in calendar view so I can see what, what kind of tasks and to-dos my day is filled with. And I check them off as I go. And those little steps, man, they take you far. Yeah. There's... One thing that you said, and I don't even know if you'll remember this, years ago, I think, in a Being Boss episode where you were talking about, and you mentioned this earlier, I know you really like working out, and you were talking about the relationship between 
work, like actual tasks in your to-do list and working out and how the mental shifts associated with that or the mental discipline, I guess, is almost exactly the same. And some days it's stronger than others and other days it's harder. And you can kind of apply the same grit to both things. Do you remember that? Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah, I I don't specifically remember what I said, but I do think about a lot about the parallels between working out and discipline, like the discipline and working out in my body and the freedom that it gives me. I think about lately, this is at least what I've been thinking about is like the discipline that working out um, or sorry, the freedom that the discipline of working out every single day gives my body. So I, I work out every day. And so I have the energy to go hike a mountain to like hike to the top of a mountain. I have the energy to run around with my kid. Um, I have the energy to go on a book tour, right? Like all of these things are training for the life that I want to live And I don't want to do it every day, but I do. Like I show up, even if I'm just doing some downward dogs and upward dogs and some twists on my mat, you know, that could be all I'm doing for the day, but I'm showing up. And I think a lot about the parallels between that and doing the work professionally and my task and to-do list. And some days feel like big wins. Like some days I feel like I'm hitting my, you know, personal record and lifting the biggest weight I've ever lifted. And that would be a day like where I'm turning in a manuscript, for example, or that would be a day whenever I'm striking a really big deal with a sponsor, or that would be a day that, you know, a launch goes really well, right? Like those feel like your personal record days, but there are also days where you're like beat up and you don't feel good and instead of working out, you're soaking in, you know, in a hot tub or sitting in a sauna and sweating it out. Um, and so it's a lot like that working as well. Like you're just chipping away at the little tasks and it adds up over time to being a really healthy body of work, whether that's literally your body or the work that you're doing. Yeah. I also think a lot about the the little changes that you can make in your workout and the little changes like in your money situation. So I also think a lot about money um, and like income going in and expenses going out and like money is energy and like working out is energy. And what is that? I'm, I'm often just kind of thinking of these things without even really putting words to it, which is probably why I'm not very articulate about it right now um, in my workouts but I like making those connections and it makes me feel again, like I'm blending, you know, who I am in the work that I do. Whenever I think about these things beyond just what they are at the surface level. Yeah. I think what, what resonated with me when you said it the last time was something like, and it's so funny how you can remember, I I remember certain blocks I was on when I listened to something on a podcast or like where I was when I was driving in Michigan, where I heard something. And I think, I think what you said that resonated with me and I I think of this time to time from time to time when I'm like I have like five more emails I want to get through and I just don't want to do it it's kind of the same thing of like five more minutes in this you know in this workout class or whatever it's like just just you know just do it just get through it it's like the (laughs) slogan just do the work like you know you just kind of sprint and like get it done and it feels so good after it's like this cathartic feeling so anyway 
Yeah. And those five emails might make all the difference. And if those five emails aren't making the difference, I mean, I've also ditched things in my workouts before, like things that are no longer serving me. So for a while I was boxing and I quit boxing because I realized that um, outside of boxing, whenever I would get angry, my instinct was to want to punch something. And that's not healthy, right? (laughs) So at least it's not healthy for me. Like I don't want to, I don't like having that aggression in my body. And I also don't like having resentment in my work. And so if there's something that I don't want to do, like if those five emails were like the equivalent of not wanting to box anymore, then just delete the emails. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that too. You you mentioned money, and I really would love to talk about money a bit more with you, and specifically investing in your future as a creative entrepreneur, and how you do that with real estate investments, and how how did you get into that, first of all? I know. It's so funny. This has been um, bubbling up to the surface lately. I've been doing more and more interviews about real estate. So I lived in Oklahoma, which is not like a hotbed of culture and creativity or really anything. Um, uh, that's not true. Sorry. I, I feel bad. Like anyone from Oklahoma listening is like, what? We have so much cool stuff. And we do, we have some really great food and some really great creative stuff happening because it's so cheap to live there. Like, because it's so cheap to live there. And I think Detroit kind of has this a little bit too. Like it's so cheap to live here that you can take risks on things for not a whole lot of money. And so for me, that was investing in real estate. I mean, I, I could buy a really nice house that would easily be a million dollars in California or certain areas of California for about $85,000 in Oklahoma City. And so I had I had managed a property that my parents had bought when we were in college. And I remember my mom wanted to buy the three of us, me and my brother and sister, a house whenever my oldest sister started college. And she thought, you know, if we could just buy them a house. And I remember the house was $35,000 that she wanted to buy on like a really cool street right on campus corner. It's probably worth $500,000 now. But she wanted to buy this house for $35,000. And my dad was freaked out about it. And he was like, no way. I don't want to do it. So they didn't. They passed on that house. My sister got through college. And then by the time my brother got to college, they were like, okay, let's do this. Like, this is ridiculous. Let's buy them a house. The mortgage would be so much cheaper than what their rent is. And we're in a position to do it. And it's not like my parents are super loaded. Like, we're very middle class. They just are really good at saving. And so they bought my brother a house. And again, this is like, I think the house is $58,000. And I'm giving you numbers because the real estate market is kind of ridiculous. And just to also make it very real how my situation was kind of unique. And it was just so cheap to live in Oklahoma. And so they bought him that house. And then him and I lived in it together for a while. And then I lived in it with my ex. And after we moved out and bought our own house, I managed that property. So I filled it with tenants Anytime there was a problem, I was calling the plumber. I also owned my own house, so I knew what it was like to own a house and take care of a home. And then whenever me and my husband now, Jeremy, got together, I remember we were sitting in a bar in Tulsa. We were going to a show, and it was Feist was the show, actually. And and we were sitting in this bar, and he's like very, you know, engineer, nerdy, 
And he pulls out a spreadsheet like on his phone or something, maybe not even on his phone. Maybe it was later that night on his computer. He pulls out the spreadsheet, but he started doing the math and he was like, if we could just get to owning seven homes, it would start to kind of like compound on itself. And then the, the, you know, income on the rent would start to be able to afford us homes like all on its own. We wouldn't have to really put our own money into it anymore. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. So we bought our first house and then we saved up 20% for a rental property. And it was like the first property that I bought that I hadn't lived in. And I remember we went and got like cupcakes and champagne and sat in this empty house that we would never live in. And we were really excited and also really scared. Like it felt a lot like taking the leap, like, you know, owning your own business would. And we rented it out and we just kept going. Like we kept going. We kept buying these investment properties anytime we would scrape together 20% of our income. And sometimes we would scrape together or sorry, 20% of the down payment of the house. Sometimes like our bank account would get back down to almost zero after we bought a property to invest in. And so there were a lot of times where I was like, oh, can we just live our lives and not be investing in the future all the time? But now I'm so grateful that we did it because there aren't a lot of options. I mean, there's more and more now than ever before for creative entrepreneurs to invest in their future. And, you know, products like Gusto make it possible for you to have a 401k really easily um, through your own business. And you can even have your own business match the amount that you put into retirement, which I think is also really smart. Like even if you're a one person shop, I think that's a really good idea. But I've decided to invest in real estate. And again, I think it was just this really unique situation in Oklahoma where property was really, really cheap. And we were able to just save up that 20% from the earnings that we were making in our jobs and really just committing to it. That's so interesting. And and cool and makes me it's something I never thought I would want to do. But listening to you talk about it, I'm like, yeah, maybe I could do that. So what are your top tips for investing in real estate and some of the, you know, mindset things and just practical things, everything? Yeah. So I think that um, living like buying a starter home that you would then rent later is a really good idea. So your first home doesn't have to be your forever home. It can just be OK. And that's a really good deal. And so then live in that for two years and then you'll want to check with like your state laws and make sure, you know, you're on the up and up with all of this. But typically if you buy a house as a primary residence that you want to turn into an investment property later, you'll need to live in it for two years in order to, um, qualify for like a lower interest rate as a primary residence. So that's how I would begin is buying your first property, thinking that it will be an investment property down the road. And then from there, though, like if you live in an expensive city like San Francisco or New York, like I just don't know. I don't know the market well enough and I can't advise there. It it seems like it would be harder there. So like yeah. if you're living in New York, you might want to go ahead and invest in a place like if you're from a small town um, or not small town, but like something kind of like Oklahoma City or Michigan, you know, yeah, Michigan, like if you're if you are familiar with an area that has like a lower 
cost for real estate, like then you might invest there instead. I think it is important though to have people on the ground, like where you're at. So if you're in, if you're living in New York and you're investing in Michigan, like either having your parents there who can check on your property or hiring your brother to go check it out and make sure that everything's on the up and up. I, I do have a problem with, um, like property management companies, I think that a lot of them don't treat their customers very well. And that was something that I got to see the other side of becoming a renter in Michigan again, and just really feeling good about the way that I manage my properties, just like I manage my businesses. And I actually have my mother-in-law's, our, our property manager, and she does all the landlord stuff, and she's incredible at it. So even after our whole ordeal with renting and property management nightmares, I was like, okay, we've got to give your mom a raise (laughs) because Mm -hmm. she's doing an amazing job. But, um, so that is, that's mostly it is like live in your first house that would be in your investment property. Know the area that you're investing in. Always be willing to live in the house that you would buy. I think that that's really important just for integrity. At least that's the way I'm approaching it. But you can also invest in places like more in like a I see, I'm so not from this world that I don't even know what it's called. But I read the Tony Robbins money book and he talked about investing in like a retirement village because a lot of people, like a lot of the baby boomers are now retiring and kind of like living in like assisted, it's not a nursing home. What is it called whenever it's like one assisted assisted living? living. Yeah, like these like assisted living villages Mm -hmm. that you can invest in. And so like you're pooling your money with a bunch of other people. But, you know, for me, I like just I kind of like knowing my property. I like being able to see it. And I don't know, like one day, like if I, I always had this fantasy of backpacking around Europe and then coming back and not knowing where I was going to live, but maybe I had a property open and I could just kind of (laughs) stay in one of my own properties for a month or two. And so like for me, it's really, that's important is is buying places I'd be willing to live in. Um, And I think that's also what gets me good tenants. And so I think it's also like any other creative endeavor where you can be creative about how you invest in properties and how you go about doing it. There's not one set way. And I have read some of the real estate investing, you know, advising books because I was like, well, I'm in this. I might as well learn a little bit about it. And I don't necessarily agree with like a lot of what the professionals are saying. And I think that I've benefited from that, like from going at it with a fresh mind and a fresh perspective, not knowing a whole lot about it. Yeah. Beginner's mind. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. This, this is so interesting. So I bought that money, that huge money, Tony Robbins book, and honestly got really overwhelmed by it. So you mentioned you read it. What are some of the main things that you got from it that were most impactful for you? I mean, Tony Robbins, bless him. I feel like that book could have been one page. Oh, okay, good. I, it, Summarize. <laughs> I don't know why he wrote that book to be so big. I wonder, I almost think of it as like initiation. Like, okay, if you're yeah. willing to read this, then you're serious or something. Yeah, I don't know. I was not. <laughs> 
Okay, so the main thing whenever it comes to Tony Robbins' money book is that you need a fiduciary. I still don't even, it's one of those words that I read a lot, especially in his book, but I don't know how to say it. Mm -hmm. But it's someone who has your best money interest in mind. So they're not trying to sell you a product. They're not working on commission. Like they are paid to make sure that you are making the best investment decision based on your situation. So So you want to find- a financial advisor? It's like a financial advisor who's not being paid by any bank or any product to sell you something so how do you find how do you where do you they're they're called they're called fiduciaries okay so that's the word that you want to look for because there are people who call themselves financial advisors who are just looking to sell you okay sounds like my favorite salad with parsley but i'll give (laughs) that a google after this (laughs) so you want to you want to speak with a fiduciary um and I also got the impression, oh, I see, and I lost all the technical words for it, but I know that like if you're investing in like a 401k where it's the standard, like these are the best generic investments you can make, like those are the ones that you want to invest in. Like you you don't want to play the stock market like one, one by one unless you have enough money to do that, in which case like it's just a game. But if it's not a game for you, like just – do the 401k, put your money in, leave it in there. Don't, don't do like the selling whenever the market is low, which is, and you know, buying whenever the market is high, which is counterintuitive. Like you want to buy up stock whenever people are freaking out and the market is low and then you want to sell high. But we're all of the age where we should just be, you know, stocking away like four to 10% of our income in a 401k match it with your business, you really take advantage of like tax advantages where you can, um, which is always changing and is complicated and tricky. But um, you also want to think about that stuff, especially as a creative entrepreneur. One thing that I really took away from his book too was looking at like if you start to get to the point where you're making millions like Tony Robbins um, is moving to a state that has, you know, lower tax brackets can save you millions of dollars if you're a billionaire, right? And mm-hmm. so that's why, like, Tony Robbins lives in Florida. And that's why, um, you know, like, if you see people moving to Texas and Florida, that's why. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I've even thought about this whenever it comes to where my money's going. So being boss had been incorporated in Oklahoma City, and then, um, you know, right before I left, I'd emailed my senator saying that I would be taking my money elsewhere and I meant it. <laughs> and so I I moved that money. So now the business is incorporated through Tennessee, which I don't know if their politics are any better. But, you know, like stuff like that's really important to me, too, and thinking about where my money is going and and what states it's going through and what I support. Like if if I feel like that's my only vote at this point, mm, yeah. then I can almost vote with where my business dollars are being funneled through. Not that like totally. I make enough money to make an impact compared to like so many other people, but you know, that whole voting with your dollars thing. Yeah, yeah, that's sorry, that's a that's a tangent there. No, this is <laughs> this is fascinating to me because I couldn't get through that book even though I like I, I remember just thinking, like, I wish I had all this information in my brain, but I didn't have to, like, spend time with this. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Good. Like, it, okay. it's or, – or I bet if you listen to a podcast episode where he's 
maybe prom- promoting yeah, the book, I've, like I've you might get the those. best. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're getting his best stuff there. Yeah. Well, if I have any like specific questions on that stuff, um, maybe I'll just ask you. <laughs> yeah. Holler at me. Um, okay. I want to go back a little bit to being boss and your book. So congratulations on the book. I would love to know a bit about the process, especially how you wrote it with Emily. So what can people expect from the book and what was it like writing a book with another person? Ah, yeah. Thanks for asking about it. We're really proud of the book. So we had talked about writing a book probably a year into recording the podcast. We thought there might be a book here. And we had spoken with a couple of agents, but no one was really quite the right fit. And so then we thought, well, maybe we'll self-publish one day, but just, you know, life happens. Self-publishing a book was not making it into our to-do list like we were talking about earlier. Like that felt so overwhelming. I didn't even know how to begin to break it down. And whenever I started to break it down, it felt too exhausting amongst all the other stuff that we were tackling. But then one day on my chalkboard, um, I drew a little book in the corner and and the, the next day, basically, our agent called and she had listened to the podcast. She understood our vibe. She, whenever she said that she saw a book in us, we were like, yeah, we agree. And we shared our vision with her and she was 100% behind it and thought that we had something. And so we put together our proposal and we pitched it to publishers and we ended up going with Running Press, who I'm so happy that we went with. I feel like whenever it comes to to traditional publishing, like that was a world that we knew nothing about. And I feel like they really got our vision and were even like really open to combining our fresh perspective. Like I was saying, even about investing in real estate, like have, have y'all ever tried this or could we do this? Like, I feel like we're kind of pushing the envelope whenever it even comes to marketing tactics or the way that we would do things if we were you know, doing it on our own, but then with the support from them. And so it's been really cool working with them. And so once we had the book deal, we started writing the book and we wrote it in chronological order um, from beginning to end, which is at first we tried like just taking off different bites of different chunks of what we were inspired by because the book is very um, digestible. Like it's kind of written out in chunks. And so it would be easy enough to write it in chunks, but our brains just weren't working that way. And so we decided to write it chronologically. We outlined our table of contents and then kind of the different subjects or topics that would be within each chapter. And then I remember like highlighting it and saying like, this will be Emily, this will be me. And we just divided and conquered. But there were so many days where we were on Skype with each other for four hours and then in our Google Doc, which is where our book was, and really working together to write it together. And I've never had so much fun collaborating on a project. I mean, a lot of people talk about how writing a book is just total torture, but it was one of my favorite things I did all year. And I honestly can't imagine writing a book by myself at this point. So it was really cool having that first experience with Emily. And through the process, um, we knew that we wanted to write a book that felt like us. So we have a podcast together and people have come to know our voices. And so we wanted to bring that voice to the book. And it was so funny, like day one of sitting down, I remember Emily, her voice sounded so like, professional, but almost even academic. And I was like, this does not sound like you. Like, what's going on here? And she had just pulled out like all of her college grammar Mm -hmm. and, you know, AP writing style. And, And then at the same time, I was writing too much from 
like an I voice and a we voice. And she was like, we need to make this more universal. We need to make it apply more to the reader. It's not just about us. And so we really pushed and challenged each other to find a new kind of voice going from the podcast to writing the book. But our topics are very much similar and very much the same as what people have come to um, know us for in Being Boss. And so we're talking about mindset. We're talking about cultivating confidence, getting over fraudy feelings. We're talking about habits and routines. So we talk a little bit about, you know, finding focus and um, the things that we do in our days to get us ready to do the work. And then we talk about um, what else do we talk about? We talk about boundaries, which was really fun to write about because that's one of our underlying principles whenever it comes to being boss, but writing it down in a book, we were like, what does this really mean boundaries? Like we know it means saying no to certain things, but how do we visualize that? How do we expound upon that in a book? And so really fleshing that out was a lot of fun. Um, and I feel like I could write more about boundaries even, and then we wrote about, you know, really doing the work. And so that's where we start talking about money stuff. And we start talking about making time to do your work. Because we imagine a lot of people reading this book might um, be working full-time jobs, but wanting to support themselves with a creative endeavor. And that takes up a lot of time. Or there might be a lot of people reading this book who feel conflicted between having a business and having a family. And um, we want to do both. And so that's where we also talk about life because all of this is so that we can live the lives that we want. And so we talk about we have the work hustle, but we also have the life hustle and making sure that we're carving out time to live the lives that we want to have, which includes things like travel and family and navigating all of that along the way. So it really is like taking the best stuff that we've ever said from our podcast and even bringing some collaborators and contributors to come in and share some things that they've said as well in the book. And we think of it almost as like a little guidebook or handbook that a boss could always have on their desk or on their nightstand. It's very interactive. We have worksheets. We love a worksheet. You love a good worksheet. We love a good worksheet. <laughs> and so we have some worksheets in there that you can actually fill out. We want people to almost treat this book like they would a cookbook where they can get it dirty. They can tab the pages. They can write in the margins. But they can also pick it up and flip to any page and get a little you know, nugget in there that will help them hopefully do the work better. Cool. That sounds better than I even like expected. That's, and I was expecting it to be great. So that's, that's really cool. I'm so happy that you guys got to do that. And it is something that's going to be so useful to so many people. You mentioned that one of the things in the book is the things that you do to start your day to be set yourself up for productivity. And this is a good segue into a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. So what are your morning routines? What are the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning and how do those affect how the rest of your day goes? Ooh, I love this question. I love a morning routine. I love setting myself up for success and really setting the tone for my day. And so um, lately, whenever I wake up in the morning, usually my four-year-old is in my bed at that point. So he goes to sleep on his own, but in the middle of the night, he gets in our bed with us. I used which to do I, that every uh, night as a kid. I love it. How old were you, though, whenever you stopped? I feel like I like last year? I don't know. I think ah! I was pretty old. <laughs> 
Okay, well, I love it. I'm leaning into it and I, I secretly love it. For a while, I was really frustrated and I had insomnia. So whenever he would come and get in bed, I would just wake up and stay awake the rest of the night. But I've been able to get over that. And so he gets in bed with us. So whenever I wake up, he's in the bed with me. But he he likes to sleep in a little bit. So my husband is usually up at this point and making coffee. And I will kind of stir awake about 10 minutes after my husband gets up. And lately, I've started using that time to center myself. And I just read this book called Becoming Supernatural. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. It's by this guy named Dr. Joe Dispenza. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah, he did like a documentary called What the Bleep Do We Know yeah. that I thought was kind of cheesy, actually. I don't know. But then I read this book. Emily was reading it. And so I read it and I was really into it. And he has some like meditation exercises. And one of them is like squeezing your lower three chakras as tight as you can while sending energy up to your head, like up to your top crown chakra. So I've been doing that in the morning and then like taking the time to like visually align my chakras. Cool. I is are your listeners like into oh, the woo? Totally. Yeah. Okay, okay. So this isn't weird. No. This is okay. great. I was just squeezing my lower three chakras and, and yeah. moving my energy. So excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like moving your energy up. And then so I do that like three to five times. And then I visually align my chakras by thinking about each chakra center and bringing in like if that chakra is in balance, like the most the ba- most balanced aspect of that um, into alignment. And then I... I kind of just meditate for about 10 minutes. So I think about opening my heart and I think about an intention for the day without trying to get into my to-do list yet. And I think about sending love to my you know, son who is sleeping right next to me and to my husband who's in the kitchen and then out into the world and to all like the baby animals and baby babies. I, I always think about babies while I'm meditating. I'm like, I just want all the babies in the world mm. to be okay. Yeah. So that's, you know, kind of what I, th- I think about cleaning up the ocean. And then I think about expanding that energy like out into the universe. And that's whenever I think about getting this like vibrational tune up in my cells and just really getting what I can, like after giving all of what I have, like giving good energy into the world, like getting some good energy back. And so that usually takes about 10 minutes. Um, and then I'll kind of stir awake and I'll, I'll cuddle my baby who's like right next to me and I'll wake him up and he kind of like monkey clings onto me and we walk into the living room and I set him down. I hook him up with like a frozen waffle that's been cooked. It's not still mm-hmm. frozen, but there's a waffle. I just don't want anyone to think like I'm making waffles in my kitchen. Um, and then I, I have a, a, right. I have a big glass of water lately. I've been putting lemon in it and then I have two cups of coffee and I get my son dressed and I send him and my husband off. They go, they go to school and to work. And then I sometimes will do some, I've gone back into morning pages and journaling and I've actually been referring to your book, um, for different prompts for journaling because sometimes it can be, I don't know, sometimes it can be hard to like know what to even journal about, which is why your book is so brilliant. Yeah. So shout out there. So I let it out. I do some morning pages. I journal, um, And then I go to the gym and that's whenever I get in like an hour of workout. I've 
I love my new gym because it has a sauna in it. And so I sit in the sauna for about 10 minutes. And while I'm doing that, I'm listening to like some drums beating on YouTube, like just something like in some ohms in the background. And so I'm using that time to kind of do that chakra alignment again. Um, And I really think about bringing everything that I've just done in my workout, like almost reflecting on the strength in my workout and bringing that into my body and and starting the repairing process from that physical activity. And then I, I come home and I start doing the work. Like that's whenever I jump in. So I, I'll get some breakfast then at that point, like after my workout, and then I'll jump in and start hitting my task list. Okay, so then how about at the end of the day? What are the last three things you do? And how do you wind down and shut down at the end of a day, especially as an entrepreneur? Okay, so at the end of the day, my kiddo goes to sleep pretty late, but like I'll give him a bath. So he has his whole routine that he does. And so it's like bath time and then there might be some Legos and some reading some books in his bed with him. And I, I do crawl into bed with him and help him go to sleep. He has a hard time doing it on his own. And so I'll crawl into bed with him with my Kindle. And so this is whenever I get in a lot of reading time. I hear a lot of parents talking about how they don't have time to read, but I do all of my best like reading at this point, whether it's a novel or a spiritual book or um, a business book, though I've really shied away from business books in the last couple of years. And I'm mostly just reading novels. And I've been reading a lot about spirituality again lately, though. And so I'll read my book for about 10 to 20 minutes while he's falling asleep. Then I get up and I'll do, you know, just the normal stuff that you got to do, like washing my face and But one thing I love doing in the evening is I make this thing called concoction. So like every night I make this warm, frothy drink for me and my husband. And there's so much stuff in it. I feel a little ridiculous. But I was inspired by, do you know that book Moon Juice or that juice? Okay. So I got her book. And I think like some people, like it's easy to roll your eyes at because it's like seaweed miso and like – like these tonics that if you add up the ingredients is like hundreds of dollars goes these tonics but that's so fun though it's so fun I was so inspired I don't know why I'm even embarrassed like saying that I was inspired by it I guess because it does seem like very yeah have to be so affluent to I think it's like that stuff isn't necessary and I think just having the um the awareness to be like, you're not going to die by not having this fun tonic, but it, <laughs> right. the, the things can be useful and they can be really fun, but, you know, it is kind of isolating and it is, you know, something that's like almost a class issue of like, you know, not everyone can afford that and that's okay. You definitely don't need it, but it can be fun and I think that's okay too. Right. And so like the equivalent, this used to just be a cup of tea, but it's eventually grown into this whole concoction that includes a Vitamix. (laughs) So here's what's in it is that I have some roasted dandelion root tea, like that's going in one mug. And then I'm heating up another mug worth of liquid on the stove, which is almond milk. And then I throw some whey protein, some collagen protein, some dried mushrooms, like some chaga and some lion's mane or some reishi, and then uh, vanilla powder and some ashwagandha root and leucoma powder and cocoa powder. I think that's sometimes bee pollen 
if I can get it, if it's like local and in season, like I'll get some bee pollen and I throw all of that into a blender together. And so it's like frothy and warm and thick and I'll drink that. It's kind of like a hot cocoa almost. I want that right now. It it's so, so good. good. It's so good. So I'll drink that. And I then wish I'll have been able to record this in person now. Really? Right. <laughs> <laughs> And so then I'll also make another warm mug of magnesium, which is like a I, – I drink this stuff called Calm. It's mm-hmm. C-A-L-M and it's like yeah. a powdered magnesium. And so that helps me. Again, a lot of this is because I had insomnia for a few years and like sleep deprivation with my kiddo. And so a lot of this stuff was to like really ground me and having something really indulgent like that concoction made me not dread bedtime but made me feel good about bedtime. And so I'll take that. And then lately I've been taking some vitamins. So I'll take like some B vitamins and some CoQ10 and some vitamin D. And um, I've been into CBD oil lately. So like I'll take some CBD oil. Like I'm just putting all the weird things in my body at this point of the evening. And then after that, like my new favorite thing, I used to just go on the couch and watch TV with my husband, but it gets so dark here so early that I'm really tired and just ready to go to bed by 10 p.m. So um, lately, like I'll go back to bed and read my book some more, but lately we've been watching the iPad in bed, which I know like everyone says is bad and especially if you have insomnia, but I've been really loving it. So Two Dope Queens is out on HBO yeah. now. It's you so can see, I'm actually good. in it. I'm in the uh, second episode. <laughs> if there's like a pan of the audience and you can see my best friend and I for like two seconds. Oh my gosh. I'm going to pause it. And we watch. saw the SJP one and it was so much fun. They took our phones and locked uh-huh. them in like these little pods. Oh, and, wow. Um, and it was just such a fun experience because we had to be so present to, and be there without our phones. And now it's so fun to go back through and watch them. But anyway, I love uh, it so much. And I how love cool them. is it that it's a podcast that has this big platform and this? You know, I know. And Sarah Jessica Parker, she didn't even know like what a big deal they were. I know. So, what was it like being there in real life? How was the energy of it? Like, were you so excited or? Yeah, it was super fun. I was there with like my four best friends from college and we went for one of their birthdays and we didn't know who the guests were going to be. It's funny. We were actually the last night of the, there was four shows and we were the last show, but they released oh, okay. it second, I think. And we didn't know it was going to be SJP, but it was so perfect because I hadn't moved to New York. Like it hadn't been that long since I had moved here. And I started rewatching Sex in the City uh. since being here because it's really like, first of all, when I watched it before, I was like basically a child and I was watching like <laughs> CBS reruns that were edited. And so now I'm seeing like the full ones and I'm relating to their lives so much more. And then it's really fun because I'm able to see new york and be like oh my god i've been there like i know that's uptown and that's downtown or whatever and yes um, and so it was so perfect that she walks out as the guest because i'd been so steeped in sex in the city and it, honestly she was like a little bit awkward like i don't don't know if like that they kept all of that in there because i haven't watched the whole thing yet but there were like kind of awkward moments where it was like <laughs> yeah. she wasn't prepped on like what was happening it was like yeah. so perfect and like she didn't know they were talking about hair or whatever it was but yeah it was great i loved it uh, so I've been into watching iPad in, in bed with my husband. And so we'll watch a show. My other favorite show is Schitt's Creek. I don't know if you watch very much TV. It. Oh, it's so good. 
It's so good. It's Dan Levy and Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. Anyway, it's so good. Um, so yeah, watching some TV or reading more of my book and then, I don't know, going to sleep. Yeah, cool. It's pretty much it. We just, unless like unless we get it on, I feel like that's the thing that's always missing from people's nighttime yeah, routine. It's yeah. like there's never the like, and then we make out and get off and go to sleep. I know that's so funny. <laughs> so then there's that. <laughs> yeah, actually, my friend Simi, I don't know if she would care if I shared this. I'm sure she wouldn't, but she talks about that, like how kind of like you do, like it's they just kind of get into bed as a family at in like that time and it's like her dogs and her and her husband and they like have their books or their tea or whatever and they have their ipad and they'll just like hang out for a while and like whatever happens happens but they're like time to connect and i think that's like sweet and nice and yeah i like that but you're right nobody like explicitly says no one ever (laughs) says and then we do it which is what i feel like is always missing i'm always like when are you all doing it yeah i'm (laughs) glad you said that okay so we talk about bodies and body image on this podcast and you've mentioned that you've been working out in different ways for years but it seems to me you know just from being your internet friend for so many years that you have a really positive relationship with your body and so I'm curious have you ever struggled with body image and you know if so what has helped you and where are you at with it now and do you ever still struggle with it Wow, I'm so I'm so glad that it comes across as that I have a good relationship. I think that every I, I think that a lot of people struggle with it. Like I was listening to an Amy Schumer interview on what was it? Katie Kirk was interviewing her. And like I think that like Amy Schumer legit has positive body image and like Lena Dunham, like the way that they talk about it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I believe them. You know, that that they feel really good. And I strive for that for sure. And I love that there's this like body awareness happening where it's like also not just about our bodies. Like we have so much more to give to the world than just what we look like, even though that's what we've been told as a society, especially as women in this society that, you know, how you look is, is everything. Um, but like you can kind of see my relationship with my body by how many, probably how many selfies I've take I've taken like so even after the baby I was looking through my Instagram and I was taking a lot of like workout selfies and even like I have a couple of photos of my stomach which is so embarrassing and I didn't delete them because I wanted to be reminded that like wow I I really cared about that and I oh so this is interesting though Katie is that um I I suffered from a little bit of like postpartum depression and it went really untreated for about a year and probably even a year and a half. And I finally went on Zoloft because my batteries were just low. Like I could not meditate my way out of this. I could not ground with my feet in the earth out of this. Like it was just really hard. My batteries were so low that I could not dig myself out of this hole. And so with the uh, advice and supervision of my midwife, I went on some antidepressants. And what was so shocking to me is that for the first time in my life, I really didn't care what I looked like Mm -hmm. and not like in a letting myself go kind of way, like in a, there was no sort of like rumination on body imperfections. And I, it kind of made me realize like, oh, wow, I had been giving way too much energy to, you know, perceive flaws. Like I put that in air quotes. Um, 
And so that was like really enlightening. And I was really appreciative to have that experience to see like, oh, wow, this is what it's like to not obsess over something going on with my body. Um, so anyway, I'm at the point now where I'm just like really grateful. I'm really grateful to be a human being. And I think that like all human bodies are really beautiful and amazing, but also kind of weird. Like my son has this book about aliens and all the aliens look like really wildly different and kind of crazy. And I think like our human bodies are kind of the same way. Like who decided red lips looks good. You know what I mean? Like it just all feels so arbitrary and silly. And that's kind of the point I'm at now is like bodies are kind of arbitrary and silly, but also really sacred and special. And I think it took having a baby for me to realize that like not only what my body could do, but also like his little body, I would never want him to feel bad about something on his body or the way that his body is. And so then why would I feel bad about mine? And I don't know why we're so conditioned to be so apologetic about our bodies. Yes. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I love that. You Sorry, I was going to say, like, this is not stuff I really, like, verbalize. No, so I feel like I'm talking great. about it for the first time. Good. I hope I'm not saying anything, like, accidentally offensive or wrong. No, no, you're not. I don't, I don't think so at all. I wasn't offended by any of that. Is there anything else that you wanted to say in that vein? I didn't mean to cut uh, you well, off. Well, oh, so no, you didn't. I'll, like, I'm also just, um, okay, so I'm at this point now where I'm really respectful and appreciative to have a human body. And I'm also interested in, like, what I can do with my body. And so that is why I work out. Like, I never work out. I want to make it clear that I never work out as a way to punish my body. But instead, it's, like, as a way to celebrate my body and to get grounded in my body and to see what I can do in this body. So that's where like all the working out comes in. There have been times where I've used it as like punishment or I've used it as a, like a, a way to get to an aesthetic that I wanted. But at this point, it's really about just seeing what I can do. Like what's the heaviest weight I can lift today or how can I stretch my leg just a little further? You know, I'm, I'm kind of like in this competition with myself and just doing my best every single day. Mm, yeah, I love that. I'm glad you made that distinction too. You mentioned that you're reading a lot of spirituality books. So where are you with spirituality, God, what you think happens when we die? You know, where have you been with that? What are you teaching your son with that? Maybe just chat about that for a little bit. Ooh, good question. So I had decided growing up in Oklahoma around the time I, I always say I was eight, but I think it was somewhere between eight and 12. I had decided that if um, Jesus was what a lot of like the Bible belt was telling me Jesus was, I wanted nothing to do with it. And so I feel bad because like at a very young age, I threw the baby Jesus out with the bathwater. Like I just wanted nothing to do with it. And um, I, so then I thought with my really limited eight-year-old to 12-year-old brain, well, I guess this means I'm an atheist. Like, I guess this means I don't believe in anything if this is my only option. And I feel like that was just such a disservice, but it was also part of my journey, right? And so for many, many years, I thought that I didn't believe in anything. Yet I was thinking about things. I remember in college, I had this thought, like, what if what if all of our thoughts, our consciousness is kind of creating this cloud above us and that's what's making God? Like it's really not this thing that's external 
that's coming down on us, but it's really something from internal that we're creating, but in a very real way. Like we're not just making it up. We're making it what it is. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a blasphemous thought. So I would even have like these, you know, deep seated, um, I, like almost shame for thinking of something outside of a typical Christian, you know, Sunday school, right? Mm-hmm. And I started getting really inquisitive though. And and I started thinking about, you know, the deeper meaning and I can't help it. Like that's just who I am. And I've always had those thoughts for a long time. Whenever I consider myself an atheist, I, I did believe in morality, but I thought that that came from you know, just being human, like we can be good humans in the world without believing in something bigger than us to hold ourselves to like a really high standard. Um, And I remember getting in fights with my friends about that, like my friends who were super Christian, they were like, no, nope, it's it's Jesus or nothing. And I was like, ah, or like even having conversations with them, like I really respect Christianity and I respect what Christ was saying. But everything else around it feels like really sexist and outdated and problematic. And I, I still can't like articulate. I still can't like argue with probably the smartest Christian out there. Like it would be hard to argue and say like you're wrong. And also I don't think that they're wrong. Like I'm at this point now where I don't think that anybody is wrong. Like what you believe is what you believe. And that's fine and that's good. And even my husband and I are on a very different spectrum. So now at this point, like I definitely believe in something bigger than myself. And I believe in this like probably a very like neutral universe God situation that isn't really necessarily um, interfering in our lives. Though lately I've been playing with the idea of like what if this idea of the universe, like the universe does have, have your back. I always think about that Amy Schumer skit too. Like whenever she talks about the universe and it's so, it cracks me up. So like there is this sense of humor too, that comes with it a little bit. And I think that that's part of it too. Right. And anyway, so I think that like spirituality is this thing that's like very personal and fluid and everyone's truth is their truth, no matter what it is. And, um, that we can all find a, if we're all like just working out of a place of love, like that's all we can ask for. Right. And just understanding that we're all connected. Like that's where I'm at right now with spirituality big time is just that we're all connected and, yeah. and we have the, the power and capacity to affect each other in really positive ways and in really negative ways. And so like, let's just be forces for good. It'll, it's probably just like star Wars, you know, like there's the force. Yeah. And let's just be good people about it. You articulated that so well. And I I agree so much, especially what you said about it being personal and fluid. And I think that it can be so dichotomous. Like that's what religion is. And that's why I think so many of us like you and I are, are turned off by but one of the reasons that we're turned off by religion and that you can be different from the people around you and still love and respect them. And you were saying, and, I'd love if you could talk about that more that, you know, you and your husband even have different beliefs because it's like that with my boyfriend and I, we like talk about it in a very different way. Like he's not into the woo woo stuff that I am. But when we really, really get into the nuts and bolts of things, like we believe the same general things about like being a good person and that we all must be connected in some way. And he calls it like humanity and I might call it you know, the universe or something magical. Right, right. it's also okay and it's not a big deal. So how do you you guys handle that in your relationship and then, you know, having a son? 
Well, I I don't want to speak to my husband's beliefs too much because like I just don't I don't want to misspeak for him. But I think in general, he's one of the most compassionate people I know. He has the biggest heart and he would probably mostly identify as an atheist if he were to label it. But, you know, we've even had a conversation recently where he he expressed that he has spirituality. It's just not rooted in what I might call the universe, right? Or what he grew up calling God. And he kind of went through that same path that I think a lot of people who grew up in Christian households, like it's, it's too bad because like, I think that there's so much good in Christianity and, and all of the organized religions. Um, but it's like, whenever you learn that stuff from a very young age, your interpretation of what God is, is only at what like a five-year-old can understand, which is like maybe very literal, you know, unless you like, unless you try to open their mind where they can still remember where they came from, from a very open place, which is kind of what I'm trying to do with Fox. I'm like, where were you before? Yeah. You You know, like I'm trying to do it from that level and not really like project this image of this like capital G, like man in the sky, God, which is what probably our interpretation was from just even reading like children's Bible books, right? Like, for me, I just got so literal with it that whenever I rejected the idea of a literal God, I rejected all of it. And I didn't really allow it to evolve into this deeper, layered, really complex thing that it is. Anyway, so all of this to say, he's much more like what you might think of as an an electrical engineer would be around the idea of God and all of that. And so like here I am with like tarot cards out and crystals and even on Valentine's Day Fox and Jeremy came home and I had an entire like little ritual set up where we were putting apple seeds in a jar of honey and writing each other's names, you know, on a piece of paper and then burning it and putting it in the jar with honey. And I wanted to give Fox this experience of like ritual around even just love, like even just around the idea of love, like I want his idea of spirituality to feel like love and Mm. alignment, right? And so that's what I'm really trying to instill in him. And I do think that rituals help us remember things. And so now that he's four years old, and at that age, where he can really start to remember things, but even also for myself, like I want to remember these things too, and really thinking about tradition. And I think that's a good thing about religion. Um, is that it really like roots you in these traditions that give your life these touch points, you know, or like even anchors that you can almost rely on just like a morning routine or concoction or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. I think religion can do that as well. And so I'm just trying to find like those good parts of it that I like, like the ritual and routine and bring them into my spirituality. And that's been like, something I've been really intentional about over the past couple of years and especially since having my son and also at night whenever I lay in bed with him like I'm I've taught him all of his chakras and so he knows where all of the chakras are and what colors they are and yeah I'll kind of like walk him through a little meditation um and so and like my husband is never like don't do that like he's cool with it too and he wants to meditate more as well and I once dragged him along to the school of metaphysics with me for about a year we went to that and so he's like he's down to like hang and talk about that stuff but it's just not a priority for him like it is for me I guess yeah 
And we've also talked about whenever it comes to what we're teaching our son, like if Fox wants to go there with the woo-woo, like he's got mom. If he wants to go there with like the logic and building some Legos, like he's got dad. That's great. So we're both bringing, you know, what we've got to the equation. Yeah. And he'll, you know, maybe he'll end up a little bit of both. Totally. And I will say like where I draw the line is – um, like with school, it's really hard. A lot of daycares and where kids are little are at churches. And so it's not that I don't want him learning about Christianity, but, you know, for example, even coming here, there was a church around the corner from us that has a school. And I mean, there was, there was a lot, I mean, it was really heavy handed. And we walked into the science room and there was like a huge poster of like white white Jesus like the Brad Pitt Jesus on the chalkboard like where you wouldn't even be able to write on the chalkboard so like this laminated poster of a Brad Pitt Jesus and I was like ah, I just can't yeah. like and he's gone and the church oh, sorry the school that he goes to now like they they'll say like a little prayer before eating and I'm cool with that like and I'm cool with him you know knowing I want him to know about all the religions and I want him to have like a lot of diversity there and but I think that the this new generation of kids coming up now, I think that organized religion more and more like is probably going to be hanging on by a thread, at least like the patriarchal, like rooted in control kind of systems of religion. I hope I think that they're going to go by the wayside. And I think that the aspects of religion, like a good friend of mine is a pastor at a church and I adore her and I adore her church and all the good that it is doing for the world. So I don't at all want it to seem like I'm bashing on Christians because I think that there have been a lot of Christian ministries. Um, and I say Christian because that's what I grew up with, but I'm sure there's a lot of different faiths and a lot of different churches and religions doing so much good in the world. But I also think that there's been a lot of like messed up control and wars and bloodshed in the name of God. Um, and I don't know if like they're just using that as an excuse. Like, well, we're just going to say kind of like, have you ever had a like a super judgy friend who's like, it's been on my heart that God wants me to tell you that you're an asshole. And you're like, well, thanks. I don't think God told you that. But you know, like, I think that that has kind of happened on a grander scale with like wars and things like, well, God is telling us to do this. And it's like, I don't think so. Like, I think you're making that I think you're an asshole who is using or making yeah. God look really bad right now. Yeah. So I think that I think that I, I just imagine a future where all of that goes by the wayside. But if people need religion and they need church or they need that kind of community and kind of like that gathered spirituality, like that will still be there for people. But I also imagine this world, like my son and his, you know, if he has children or, you know, generations to come, I think that people are really going to start blending and taking what serves them, which I don't know if you grew up this way, but like we were told that was bad. Like you can't just pick and choose what yeah, you want totally. out of your spirituality. And I think that like people our age, like we're calling bullshit on that. Yeah, We can pick and choose what we want to serve our highest good. And I think with our children, it's going to be even more of that. So that excites me. Like that really makes me excited about the kind of evolved consciousness that our children are going to usher into this world me too yeah me too okay well this is great let's wrap with some quick fire questions so just say the first words that kind of come to your mind with these and and yeah just trust okay <laughs> okay so what is the best thing you've eaten in the last week other than your concoction 
Okay, so um, my friend Liz, I was in Grand Rapids over the weekend hanging with her, and she made this amazing mushroom and bechamel. Do you say bechamel or bechamel? I have no idea. I don't even it's know what that is. Creamy, is that a mushroom? Like, it's like a sauce, like oh, okay. a creamy, like almost like Alfredo sauce. Anyway, she made this like mushroom lasagna. It was incredible with mm. some roasted Brussels sprouts and some roasted broccoli. It was delicious. Sounds delicious. Okay, greatest lesson on motherhood. Uh, the word that came to mind was surrender. Mm. Greatest lesson on entrepreneurship. <laughs> also surrender. But I feel like um, that one would have to be faith. I think that it is interesting how much entrepreneurship has helped me grow my spirituality because you can't control everything and you have to have faith that your vision is going to work and that if you put in the work, it's going to work out. Mm. Greatest lesson on marriage. The word that comes to mind is endurance. So which is I, I think that it just just writing it out through the hard things has been really special because I'm one to like I've been divorced before, so I feel like I've always had that in my hip pocket. Like, well, if this doesn't work out, we can just get divorced. Like it's really not a big deal, but really staying together through the hard stuff and seeing it through um has made us we've grown so much closer and that's been like a really special thing. Yeah. Greatest lesson on family. Um, the word that comes to mind is soulmate. So like I, I, if there is past, if there's a past life situation, I know that I've been with all of my family in, in another life and just having that, you know, really deep connection to my family, even whenever we're not, particularly close like even if we're not chatting on the phone every single day like I feel like especially with my siblings my brother and sister I feel like so grateful that um that my mom and dad brought us into this world together mm, that's so lovely and makes me not want to be an only child <laughs> I well you know Fox is one and done like I think about so he'll be fine I turned out okay fine. yeah totally <laughs> Um, all right. Well, this was a delight. You're a delight. Thank you so much. Congrats on the book. And next time I'm in Detroit, we'll we'll have to hang out. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm I'm such a fan of your podcast. I love that you just deep dive with your guests and it, talk about whatever. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, the name of the podcast is Let It Out. So when I offer <laughs> exactly. that to you to let it out, did I ring you dry? Is there anything else that you want to share? That's always the final question. I feel like you're the kind of person that I could just have, you know, a cup of coffee with or a beer or whatever for like hours and hours. So I, I feel like I didn't get to hear from you enough if well, anything we'll do, we'll so, do that and we'll do that in michigan exactly, sometime. i want to show you around exactly. to all my favorite spots and yeah we'll have to hang out there for sure that was my episode with kathleen shannon i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did i hope you learned as much as i did from this episode she's a delight if you don't already listen to being boss the podcast check it out you probably already listen i got to be a guest several years ago when my book came out We'll put the link to that episode in the show notes. You can listen to that one if you'd like. And they've had so many great guests. And Emily, who is Kathleen's co-host, is also great. And if you like this episode, you'll definitely like that podcast. And check out their book. I got an advanced copy and I've been really taking it in. 
as we spoke about it in this episode, it's great and they worked really hard on it and I'm really excited about it and I think you will like it as well. If you're still listening right now, thank you so much. I'm so grateful always to the people who listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing on Instagram or Twitter that you've been liking the podcast and tagging myself and the guest. That means so much. I'm going to give you the emoji in a little bit. But I've just been so grateful for all the feedback about the new season, the new theme song, the new direction. I'm going to be changing and shifting things even more in the next couple months. So it really means a lot, especially for the people who have been listening from the beginning since 2013 or 14 or 15 or even 16. That was so long ago now. I'm really, really grateful. Check out my book too if you're new to the podcast. I wrote a book about journaling a couple years ago and it's 55 journaling prompts and you might enjoy that. A great way to support the podcast is through supporting the sponsors. I only have sponsors on the podcast that I actually think are interesting and cool and would use myself. So check them out, support them. You can always support on Patreon if you want to support the podcast without supporting the sponsors. That's a great way to do it. And I'm really liking the Patreon community. That platform is really cool that supports creative people doing the things that they love to do because I just want to be able to do this podcast more and keep doing it. It's honestly the greatest thing I've ever done. If you're considering starting a podcast, email me. I want to help you. I've started to do podcast advising and it's been giving me a lot. I've really been enjoying it. So hopefully I will talk to you on the internet over email if you want to start a podcast or send the emoji my way and Kathleen's way. She's and Kathleen on Instagram. I'm at Katie Dalebout. But first, next week on the podcast, I have Claire Fountain. She's CB Quality on Instagram. And oh man, that was such a great conversation. We recorded it a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago in her apartment here in New York. You'll hear about her next week. And then the week after that is my birthday week, actually, and I'm doing my annual interview where I get to be in the hot seat and my friend Sasha Jones interviews me. So we're recording that on Thursday, tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day it comes out. So if you have a question that you want Sasha to ask me, Nick will actually be in town, so maybe he'll be there too. If you have something that you want to know or you want us to discuss or talk about, write it in the listener Facebook group. The link to join that is in the show notes. We started saying, you know, if you join the Facebook group, it would be really cool if you could give a dollar a month donation. That's $12 a year. But if that's not cool or you don't want to do that, you can still join. But we just say that as a, you know, as a suggested suggested donation but it's not mandatory but it would be really nice and cool if you want to support the podcast so we can keep doing it and doing more of it hopefully you send your questions in and thank you so much for listening all the way to the end this is kind of a rambly outro but i'm just really grateful for this podcast and the community that it has built and i want to keep doing it more events in new york to come and elsewhere i'm really happy to be back in New York after traveling a lot in March and the beginning of April. All right, the emoji is the house. Nick picked it out because he said, well, since you talked about real estate, I don't think you've done the house. And there are two versions of the house. I like the one with the tree better. So maybe 
do that one. But if you like the one without the tree, that's fine. It sounds like a monsoon outside. So I'm going to go. But I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you on the internet and next week. Bye. episode is brought to you in part by freshbooks.com you know freshbooks you love freshbooks if you've been listening for a while you know that i use freshbooks i love it it's the easy to use online cloud accounting software you can personalize the colors and you can even add your logo it's great for sending invoices it really makes you look buttoned up and it's great for tax season you can even set up freshbooks to import expenses directly from your bank account so whenever you purchase something for your business it instantly uploads it to freshbooks books i love it and freshbooks is ridiculously easy to set up it's made for people who don't like dealing with numbers and their taxes right now freshbooks is offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial to our listeners so to claim it just go to freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section that's freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section thank you freshbooks have to tell you about one of my favorite brands, Cara Vitamins. You might already know and love them like I do, but if not, Care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients personally tailored to your exact needs. Vitamins can fill the important gaps your body might be missing from its food or give you an extra boost where you need it. To figure out what supplements can help you feel your best, simply go to Care-of's website and you take this super short, fun quiz. It asks you questions about your lifestyle, everything from how much you sleep to how much you poop, and from there, it recommends to you in minutes exactly what vitamins can help you feel your best. All the recommendations are based on clinical research and traditional medicine with input from doctors and nutritionists. I love the packaging and design of everything Care-of makes. Your supplements will come to you in these beautiful, individually wrapped, personalized packets. I love them when I'm traveling and really just every day since I'm always on the go. And I think you will love them too. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. Again, that's for 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins. Visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. That's K-A-T-I-E, just in case you didn't know how to spell my name. The music you're hearing behind me now and all other original music in this episode is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. The album art is by artist Zoe Harmon, and this podcast is produced and edited by Amanda Sharp and hosted by me, Katie Dilbout. Check out our website for show notes to everything mentioned.